0: Bit late, but we're here. That's us. We're here. Welcome to
1: Uncorked. It's uh, what is it? It's four minutes past one, and we've managed to. Do you know what? We were talking to ourselves for a little while there.
0: We were, we were, we were happily chatting. Yes, and it was really
1: great radio.
0: (laughs) No, I'm sorry, nobody. I'm so sorry that nobody heard the, the gems that we were sharing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can still, I can hear us coming through on the app that we were checking as well. This that's a bit weird. That's a bit.
0: Uh, anyway, this is uncorked, isn't <laughs> it? myself in double stereo is a little bit much.
1: <laughs> so this is uncorked. It's Thursday. It's coming up to five minutes past one, and we are talking all things wine, winemaking. Uh, you're listening to uh, Brian and Kath, and um, Kath's looking very worried.
0: Well, I could hear myself coming out of my app Oh, as well. I
1: see, I see.
0: So what <laughs> have we got? I can hear more voices. I'm hearing voices. I'm hearing
1: voices. What have we got coming up today, Kath? What's going on? What's going on? Let's get some order here.
0: Well, harvesting. Oh, right, yes. Yep, just throw it in there. Harvesting and Prierat.
1: Prierat. Yeah. And we're in Spain with Priorat, aren't we?
0: Yeah, well, it's not Italy, it's not France, it's Spain. I know. Do you Moldova? see
1: how well-read well I am?
0: I <laughs> just read your notes accurate.
1: before you <laughs> started, like literally minutes before. Um, yes, okay, super. So, um, uh, what am I doing? Yes, I'm going to ask you a question about some harvesting. Go
0: on, ask me a question. Where do you want to start with All harvesting? All
1: right, well, you know, we were, we were talking about this last week. We, we touched on it. That's why we, we, we're doing we it. We did. Yeah. So
0: we touched on harvesting because we were talking about...
1: Uh, Jeremy Clarkson's farm and how <laughs> difficult like farming and stuff is, yeah, yeah. And to get everything and in right.
0: Essence, that's what it is when you're growing grapes. Yeah, in essence,
1: farming. you know, a vineyard yeah. is you know you're relying on Mother Nature. You um, are, you are. Mother and Nature. You, you were bit like sexist.
0: Well, you were like green harvesting, machine harvesting, hand harvesting. Job yeah, done. Okay, well, anyway, we're a bit of a bit of a delve, and one discovers these topics as I suspected. So are, are we diving in. Detailed. Is we, that what we're going to do? Do you think we should? You
1: yeah, let's dive in. Let's let's um, put the fader up so we can hear it, and then dive in.
0: Well, the thing is, somebody yeah has tweaked our thing, so there's two dive ins on our thing.
1: Oh, uh, do do the do the one you weren't going to do.
0: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the one that you weren't going to do. Do that one.
1: So we're diving in here on uncorked. Uh, we're talking all about it's all under control. Sit back, relax. We've got this.
0: I'd like to say it was like a swan. We're gliding and our little legs are underneath working, but I think, actually, a little bit more like Benny Hill. (laughs) Or a headless chicken. But, you know, we're doing well.
1: Okie dokie. So, So first of all, then, harvesting. We are looking at bringing the grapes in to squish them and make some merry juice.
0: (laughs) Merry juice, that's a good one. (laughs) Yes, we are. So, really, I mean, it's quite an important event. Well, yeah. So, imagine you're a winemaker or a grape grower or a producer of some description. Yeah. And... You spent the whole year battling the elements, dealing with everything from heat waves to dry, arid weather, drought weather, Mm -hmm. too much rain, too little rain, potential for hail, storms, the sun not shining, you know, rock diseases, pestilence. Let's be dramatic here. Yes. And then finally, finally, those little grapes are looking, looking good and you can pick them but you don't want to mess it up. So it's quite important. And it's also a bit of a celebration because you've made it through that year and there's something to harvest at the end of it.
1: So the first thing you've got to decide then is the right time. And, yes. you know, that, that's got to be, has that got to be like a specific day or can you leave it two or three days either side, more or less?
0: I think it, it depends on the weather conditions. Okay. So, yeah, so firstly, round now in the Northern Hemisphere, is sort of general harvesting time. It can run even from August, depending how warm the country is, through to, well, end of the year, if it's a late harvest wine. And you sort of flip it on its head, and our springtime is really when they're harvesting in the southern hemisphere. But this time of year for where we're located, yeah, is sort of harvest time.
1: Okay. And what are they looking for? What what what's the ideal? Is it is it like a a certain amount of acid, a certain amount of tannin, a certain amount of ripeness, or, or depending yeah. de- just how long's a piece so, of string? So they're question.
0: looking at you've got two sort of forms of ripeness: phenolic or physiological ripeness, okay. which is really where you're looking at things like the skins, the seeds, the stems. How ripe are they, so the tannins, the phenolics in the wine, um, and then you 've got sugar ripeness, and that 's your sugar acid balance and obviously, the more sugar the grape has in it, the riper it is, and the more potential alcohol it could have as well. so that balance of all of those elements, so acid, sugar, and the phenolic side of the grape, and the aromatic compounds that come along with those ripening that ripening is is quite important, so that that is what a grape grower will be looking at before they harvest and deciding am I where I want to be for the wine that I want to produce? Right, yeah. So and,
1: and traditionally, um, I don't know if this is right, but I, I always had it in my mind that traditionally old world were like, uh, Jean-Paul would go out to the, the, <laughs> into the vineyard and pick a grape and yes. have a bite and go, mm-hmm, yes, three more days and we shall harvest. That's That was my... Um, French accent and Kenji wondering, um, and then in the new world, um, Americas and Australias yeah. and places like that, they they have an acidity
2: machine refractometer, a refractometer, a oh, refractometer,
0: which is basically measures the sugar in bricks. Yeah, so they can see how much potential sugar they have. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But in but in reality, it's a bit of both. Yeah, you were saying and there's lots of producers who will, you know, ultimately how it tastes, and and they they'll get a feel for it each year. You know, they and and from vine to well. Row to row, parts of the vineyard, there can be differences. And that's when you start narrowing down your picking dates. So you might find that different parts of the vineyards, when we had Henry Lacewaite in here, he was talking about how different parts of the vineyard ripen at different times. So there'll be one bit that naturally most years you'll probably pick first. Um, and depending, if, if, if a heat wave's about to come in, it can suddenly accelerate the sugar levels and you can end up with a very different style of wine even within a day dependent really on those weather conditions. Wow. And that's when we get into the gubbins of the benefits of hand harvesting versus machine harvesting. Yeah. yeah Because you've yeah, got, got lots to, you've, to think about. At this
1: time of year then, what well, it's probably like like 2 or 3 weeks either side mm-hmm. of now, yep. I guess. Um you, as a winemaker, you are literally on tender hooks just waiting yeah. to go. At any moment you could yeah. go I've got to do it now because it's due to rain tomorrow. Yes and so you so
0: might you might think look at the weather forecast I think there's some countries where the weather forecast seem to be really accurate they say it's going to happen and it happens here less so although in recent years we haven't had as many of well no it's always wrong let's face it <laughs> <laughs> quite often it's wrong but if you've got an idea of the weather forecast you think to yourself I'm going to wait a week and then there's a, especially if you're living on an island like we are there could be a, a shift or a change and then you do have to rush to pick and it's all hands to deck. But of course, if everyone's out picking at the same time and you've got, you have to also potentially schedule either picking teams or if you don't own your harvester, your harvester coming in. So there's That's all these trouble. factors. Yeah. yeah. And all these factors. And it's it's very hard to predict. I mean, you might have a feeling, but... It, yeah, Mother Nature could so swing you a curveball, and then you've got to figure it out. Yeah, and that,
1: that's that's what made me draw that sort of uh, analogy with um, Clarkson's farm because it was like, okay, <laughs> we,
0: gonna think we, we're going to think we're promoting. It. I know we're not, <laughs> we're
1: not. Um, but but he was like, okay, well, uh, we need a combine harvester, but yep. they're all out. That everybody else has got them. Yeah. Somebody has got them before you. Mm. So what do you do? Just sit there and watch your your perfect crop just sort of go slightly off. Yeah. Until one's available. Yeah. Unless you hand pick.
0: Yeah. So you do have that as an option with grapes.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> But that's going to take a bit longer, isn't it?
0: Yes. So people often think that when you're, you're harvesting, that, that hand harvesting is better. But it's not necessarily always the case. And it's ultimately, it, it comes down to time and finances. Those are the two things that will often, and, and topography. So what the vineyard is actually like and how it's planted. Those are the things that will mostly dictate how you're going to harvest. Like the physical methods you're going to use so yeah I mean how practical is it to do one or the other now if you really don't have a choice then at least you can always fall back on doing a manual harvest but there are benefits to machine harvesters and last week you were asking what they look like and you wanted it to sort of be like I think an inspector gadget magic grabby machine yeah they are pretty cool grapevine harvesters they are kind of like a grazing monster okay so they go over the vines usually and they have either a fiberglass or a it's going to sound so bizarre I say it to you or a rubber a rubber rod that sort of hits and thwacks the vines to yeah knock and strip the berries off and then they go through a conveyor belt and out into so it, uh, you're looking it, at it, me it, it's, it, it's it's like a... <laughs> okay so it's great for radio great me for radio
1: my arms around so what in what the what cat is doing like a, a, a an impression of like some crazy <laughs> crab um, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. yeah exactly. So, a mad
0: a mad crazy crab grazing on grapes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So it's actually it's just bashing the vines and hoping that they wobble off
0: yeah in essence yes in essence that's exactly what they're doing because when they're ripe they often fall off more easily anyway yeah um but obviously you are going to get bits and bobs and debris and insects and all sorts of things that yeah go in go in with it yeah and so they they get dropped onto a conveyor belt which takes them into a trailer and then the trailer transfers them to the winery now you will have to remove stuff although their developments are coming on where they have blowers that blow some of the stuff away some of the debris immediately because okay. obviously a leaf is usually lighter than a grape sure um and they're looking at things to help sort but once it gets the winery there's still quite a lot of sorting to be done so you know that's that's quite handy but they they've not really been around for all that long so although they do look like a sci-fi thing with a little rods thwacking um yeah they've they've been around since the 60s it sounds
1: uh, it sounds like really sort of brutal i mean uh, does a lot of the the fruit get damaged
0: it can do it and again it depends on the machines they're much more you know the technology is improving year on year so they started they were developed in the 60s in america but all the grape growers or pickers, they were often unionized and they had them blocked for commercial purposes because they didn't want to lose their jobs, which is fair enough. And particularly in the States, although it's becoming harder now, labor was, dare I say, quite cheap because you used to have Mexican immigrants they would bring in to do the harvests. And so it was often cheaper than buying a machine, which could cost, I suppose, these days anywhere between 100, 150 to quarter of a million euros. Sure, yeah. So it's not a, it's an investment. So you have to have the right kind of vineyard and infrastructure to warrant spending that kind of money if you're not going to hire it so they it was in this but it was the australians that then spotted that this could be good and they had prototypes brought over to australia and it became the first country really where they started to plant vineyards specifically so they could be machine harvest ah. because you do have to have certain criteria. So you do have to have trellised rows. You do, you don't want concrete posts because they can crack if they're swacked. Yeah. So all these things have to be considered. So trellises and wires and how the vineyards are then going to be farmed in terms of the canopy and the canopy management. Uh, so the that's all the design stones, of the way the, the, the canopy grows yeah, so, and everything. So bush vines and steep terraces and machine harvesting clearly don't go together. So if you've got old bush vines, they have to be hand harvested. Um, but there are other benefits. So areas like Riverina were propagated with these enormous, enormous farms, like hundreds and hundreds of hectares, where they could grow that many grapes and harvest them all really quickly. So... It was more that the viticulture and the machine harvesting came hand in hand. And in in all honesty, at the bottom end of the market, most entry-level wines that you will come across are often machine harvested these days. Yeah, Because there is an economy of scale in that you can do it much more quickly. The other benefits that you can't ignore are things that you can do it at night time when it's cold and machines can run 24 hours. So if there is a pressure because of the weather front coming and you have a harvesting machine, you, you can harvest for 24 hours. And clear it in, whereas human beings tend to need to sleep mm. at some point, or they yeah, become annoying, less, less efficient. Yeah. yeah, so you you have that benefit. You can harvest at night, um, but there is a downside. Like you say, it, you can end up with a soup of damaged grapes, and if these aren't going to be moved to the winery really quickly, then it can start to. You can get premature oxidation. The, the berries start to oxidize. The volatile compounds and the aroma compounds you know, they're oxidising, they're not being treated in a protective way. And there are ways around that. They can sprinkle them with things like potassium metabisulfate, which basically forms like a, a, when it hits moisture, you get almost like a a layer of SO2 to preserve, so sulphur. But not everyone wants to do that. Um, So it is rougher, it can cause more damage. Um, But they did discover in places like New Zealand that actually when they used careful machine harvesting and they harvested at the right times, they got more gentle aromatics from the machine harvested fruit. So there are pluses and minuses, and I think it depends very much on the style of wine you want to produce. I don't I don't think anybody truly, if you were tasting blind, could tell the difference between a wine that's been machine harvested and hand harvested. It's more indicative of style or knowing something about it. So if you know that it's likely to be an old bush vine senso from the Lodi, right. you know that that's going to be hand harvested because yeah. of the nature of the beast. But it's more through knowledge than probably actual tasting because they do know what they're doing and the machines aren't quite as violent as my crazy hand actions Cra- crazy, like crazy impression. suggested. Crazy yeah. yeah. crab
1: yeah. So even though, um, so was, even if you did have um, hand harvesting going on, yeah. um, surely you need to have people who know what they're doing or, rather than just... Yes. It, I mean, I could go along yeah. and i go to pick your own strawberries once yeah. in a while, but I'm not saying I'd be a particularly good... good hand-harvester for a real top-quality wine.
0: That's one of the real benefits. So, you know, realistically, if a vineyard's too steep, you, you can't use a machine. If you really do need to do careful selection in the vineyards, people are always going to be better than a machine. That's a reality. If you have special techniques that you want to use for your winemaking, so a whole bunch of fermentation, like carbonic maceration for Beaujolais, for example, where you have to have whole bunches of grapes. Or even champagne and sparkling wine, where they're made in old basket presses, they often go in with the stems, and that forms the channels that the juice runs through when you... Oh, oh I see. Yeah. Okay. So, so there's lots of things where you, do, you don't just want berries that are just selected. So, Or you might want a combination of those things, and then that might mean that you do a combination of machine and hand harvesting. So there are different approaches. But in places like the Mosel, for instance, there are vineyards that are so steep that it's almost like you have to abseil to prune and harvest. So you'll be on a winch and you have a harness on and you almost abseil down to each vine. There's no machine that can do that. It will kind of fall off. (laughs) That's very specialist, isn't it? Yeah, so you need people. And often people have the same pickers they use each year. And the pickers will move around from place to place. Between fruit, vegetables, they just move around almost like doing a season. Okay. And so you know, that that also gives people flexibility. And the same people come in, they know their vineyard, they're trained in what they do. And particularly with sweet wines, you may want to pick... We talked the other week when we are doing botrytis about picking individual berries. Your machine can't do that for you. So a person is who you require, the same when you're picking for ice wine and things like that. Back to your ice wine, Brian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you should, do, you want to, do you want a fun fact? Yes, please. Because we like fun facts. Oh, yeah. So apparently, and I haven't had a chance to check this, but I did discover that a machine can pick a hectare of vineyard in no more than five hours.
1: A hectare? Yeah. Okay, that's That's not... quite
0: big, but it's five hours. But by hand, to do the same area, dependent on the style of wine, the number of pickers it can take between a whole day and ten days. Really? That yeah. seems like a very long
1: time. Yeah. I mean, a hectare is, what, 2.4 acres? Yeah, and if you think... Is, you that, might... is
0: that right? Yeah, I think so. So, I just but think could, they're but...
1: just not going fast enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's because they're being selected. Is that one
1: person, though?
0: Well, How many... It depends on the number of people, so fewer people, the longer it'll take. Yeah,
1: so, yeah. okay, so that statistic And then... it's not
0: just... And also, what you've got to bear in mind is with, with the machine, it's going on, on a conveyor belt into a trailer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Whereas when it's hand harvested, you have small bins. Yeah. It's not usually basques, it's usually plastic bins. And I'll tell you what, what people tend to call them because I can't say it on air. Um, and people, <laughs> Brian's looking, looking intrigued. Um, they obviously have to, they, they pack the bin and then they've got to, that's got to be transported back to a trailer. And then yeah. you go back out into the vineyard again okay. and you start the next one or you have it rotating. So it, the whole thing just takes longer. It's much more labour intensive, obviously.
1: Yeah. But Unless yeah. you've got a million people doing it. And then they do it like a yeah. hectare. And there are,
0: there are places where they still use because mach- it's cheaper than buying a machine, I hate to say.
1: Well, there yeah, you go. exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so what else then? Because, uh, so we've got the grapes off then. We've yeah. done a good job. They're not, you know, we've, we've delicately um, machine got them off or yeah. hand harvest and stuff like that. But there's other types of harvesting. Well. Oh, God, look at the time.
0: Yeah, we might have to do that we, another we, week. We've, we've hardly dove,
1: dove in at all. We've <laughs> Dive,
0: Dived. <laughs> we Dove, doven. We've hardly dove doven in in it at all. all. We may have to change the name because we're really struggling with yeah with that that verb to dive
1: to dive to dove. I dove. You dove. We you dove. dove, didn't you?
0: We dove. We dived. I don't know. I don't know. It's like hanged, hanged. What? What, what is hung. it? Yeah, but what if you if you if you're if you're strung up by your neck, you're hanged, not hung.
1: Well, I don't know. So
0: we're back on death again. But we, we've we learned, spoken we've, about yeah, poison for while. spoken about poison for a while. No, so we let's haven't. get on to different forms of death yeah. death by
1: harvester. <laughs> or crab machine. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, it's so
0: not as lethal as like a proper bladed combine harvester, clearly. <laughs> it's like a demented crabby machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thwacking well, things. You've got to
1: thwack you to death. She'll thwack you. Thwack you. Um, we've got a great song, um, Harvest Moon by Neil Young. Uh, so don't go anywhere. After this, uh, after Harvest Moon, we might just touch on green harvest, and then we're going to go in off the beaten track and talk about... Oh, we're going to pre rat place, place
0: where I don't think they use much machine harvesting.
1: And it's, it's, just, it's, it's a it's a naughty little number, isn't it? It is not it Oh, Sue, so you're going to want to find out about that. Don't you go do. anywhere, you cheeky lot.
3: Come a little bit closer, hear what I... Just like children sleeping We could dream this night
1: Thing is done. Oh, yes, indeed. Behave. I
0: thought there was more than just one quick twitch.
1: No, 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 Yeah, no. It's just <laughs> one quick twitch. and That's it. It's all done. Uh, you're listening to River Radio. It's uncorked. It's uh, the voice of the Thames Valley, don't you know? Do you it know is. what? We go all the way from Windsor, Slough, Maidenhead, Marlowe, Henley All the way.
0: To Reading. To Reading, yeah. All that place. And you and can listen. we're on Alexa, yeah. Yeah. on mobile and on the web you just go to River. Radio. River. Radio. River.radio. See, yeah. you're so much better at this than me.
1: Or, or you go to Alexa and go play River Radio
0: Live. And that works. Yeah.
1: Do you know what? You can also listen again. If you've missed any of our uncorked episodes, go to the website, um, join the uh, members area. It's absolutely free. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't um, you? And then you exactly. can listen back and um, enjoy all of the uh, in depth knowledge and, uh, and stuff.
0: Discussions as poison. About. Yes, all sorts of things. Well, I mean,
1: we've had a chat about wine as well along the way.
0: Occasionally, yeah, we yeah. touch on, we touch on that that subject of we're, all things Venice. Indeed,
1: we, we do. do. We're off the beaten track now, though. We are. Let's do it then.
0: Ah. Yeah. where are we today? Que bien, todo bien. Aquí en Espanol. Ah, you see, you're a dark horse. You, you and your Spanish knowledge. Oh yes,
1: we're in the north of Spain.
0: We are. We are. We're not
1: far from Barcelona. We're not. Uh, that's my Spanish act. Sounds very similar to my French one, doesn't it? <laughs> I've got one accent.
0: One accent.
1: Yeah. And that is it. You have been...
0: <laughs> yeah, we're in free around. Anyway, that's, we are. that's what we're pre-a-rat. doing.
1: Yes. Actually, before we go e- uh, into uh, pre I just mm-hmm. wanted to touch on. Um,
0: oh, you, just, oh, just just wanted yes. to finish off
1: really because we were talking about harvesting and um, what you know you said those uh, the buckets or the bins that they use yeah. to pick to pick up and they're, they're not quite, particularly they're not big. Very big,
0: no, because you don't want the weight of the grapes squashing the grapes underneath. So that's why that kick off fermentation if it's a bit warm.
1: So you you really just have a very limited amount of grapes you can stack on top of each other before yeah. you've actually got. To empty that, and then even in the bigger storage place, yeah. the same thing applies. Yeah. So, it's, it's even that's a little bit tricky,
0: yeah. And there have been years where so 2003 is a good example of this in Europe. 2003 was Scorchio. Scorchio, do you remember? Do you remember it? Literally, Hyde Park had no grass left, okay. <laughs> it was There was no green anywhere, yeah, even in the UK. And it was really, really hot. And growers, did they were picking grapes, and they were so warm, they thought, we can't even ferment these, these are too hot at the moment. And they didn't know what to do, particularly in regions where normally it's cooler at harvest time. And so they often just shut them into the winery in their little... tried to, like, so it wasn't too deep, and just whacked on the air conditioning as cold as they could and left them for 24 hours so they could actually handle them at temperatures that were more familiar. Wow. Yeah, which is why night harvesting actually with machines can be handy because you, you're picking the grapes and they're not too warm in the sun. Because obviously any chemical process is sped up by temperature increases. So picking in the height of heat is not desirable. So regularly, this time of year, we know growers will be heading out at, you know, two, three, four in the morning to start harvesting before it gets too warm as the day progresses. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, well, well. So, yeah, it's a complex business, really, when you add all these things up. We were going to mention green harvesting. Let's leave that for another day. We'll leave that for another Ah, day. We're we're off the beaten track, then.
0: We're off the beaten track. We're in Priorat, which is a small, dynamic region in Catalonia. And you just said where it is, northeast Spain. Um, They produce pretty intense full-bodied red wines. They do make some white and rosé as well, but what they're famous for is sort of quite big... They can be a little bit ethereal. We allowed to say ethereal. What, um, what what? yeah, oh I know. Hello. Yeah, depends who's made them. Sort of a bit requires an action.
1: Hold on, we've got another action. we've got another impression now. It looks like our <laughs> it looks like our crab so is now on something <laughs> and is <laughs> turned into a wavy sort of tree uh, type thing. Yeah,
0: our crab's back to nature has gone all ethereal. Yeah. Yeah. So they can they can be very elegant, but they're usually fairly robust. They can have quite high alcohol. Um but it's a region that really shot to fame. In the last few decades, really. Um, And one of the main great varieties is obviously they have old Bushmine Carignan or Carignana, as we talked about last week, but also ganacha or Grenache. And tomorrow is International Grenache Day. Oh,
1: there you go. That's all, it's all, yep. So, makes sense now. Go,
0: go grab a Priorat if you want one.
1: So, Priorat, let me just, just take this right back to grassroots just because I'm a little bit of a numpty. Yeah. Um, Priorat is, is almost like a Rioja. It's the name, and it has different yep. varieties of grape that can make up a Rioja. You have different varieties of grape yes. that can make up a Priorat. And this Priorat is, um, a, as we said, it is yep. a place. Okay, cool.
0: So, they, yeah, they, they, they're unique for a number of reasons. Firstly, they're one of the first. One of the few world-class wines that are Grenache-dominated. So the other being Chateauneuf-de-Pape. And there's some wines from California that achieve fairly significant prices that one would maybe class with those. But Chateauneuf is the other really famous Grenache-dominant wine that people know about all over the world. Um, The other reason is that they're one of the only... There's only two Spanish wine regions that have DOCA status. The other, of course, being Rioja. The other one is Priorat. Uh. So they're the only ones really... although. No, I don't think they do yet in Ribera. So, yes, so that's significant as well. And also the fact that until fairly recently, they were completely unheard of until someone called René Barbier, um, or some people, Carlos Pastrana and um, Alvaro Palacios, amongst others, headed into the region and changed its fortunes from being forgotten to being famous. How do they do that? Well, how do they do that? We have to go through the history. So, Priorat has, they've been making wine in Priorat since the 12th century. So, so they th- they've been there's been wine there for a long, long time.
1: So they should be quite good at it by and now.
0: It was originally started by um the Carthusian monks in a priory. It's so always the monks, you see it always the goes monks, back. They're always making alcohol. Yeah, didn't the monks do the shaken of the pap as well? Yeah, see there, there you go. Yeah, they, it's usually yeah. Oh, I yeah. think almost well, they've got nothing
1: else to do, have they? Well
0: I suppose you just make alcohol and drink, I think was, was what they mostly... Oh we did a bit of praying. Yeah. Apart from that,
1: I think I'd be a good monk.
0: <laughs> Apart from <the> praying. <laughs> the abstinence yeah apart from those those things those things I'd love it Um, so they 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 started making planting vines and then locals started making wine as well but then come the 1800s or the mid 1800s Phylloxera came on the scene and like lots of vineyards there were quite a lot there that were decimated and most of the vineyards are quite terraced and hard to reach and people just thought I can't be bothered to replant Yeah, and they just sort of forgot about them and then you sort of fast forward into the 50s and cooperatives took over and produced fairly unremarkable, quite rustic wine, I think is the way you would describe it. And then you fast forward a little bit again. In 1979, a Spanish-French winemaker called René Barbier bought his first patch of land in Gratiops in Priorat, and was convinced of the potential in the region, and managed to convince other people. So he was working primarily actually at the Palacios Raimundo winery in, in Rioja. And at that point, Alvaro Palacios was off making wine in places like, ooh, in places like, I'm just f- trashing the joint, um, Petrus in in Bordeaux. <laughs> so he did some stages in smart places around the world. And he convinced him to come back, not to Rioja at that point, but to Priorat. And a group of them sort of got together and started making wine. And they named each little individual s- site after a clo. So you had things like Clo Mogador, Clo Dopfi, which later became Finka um clot Martinet. What's a clo? So a clo. if you see, so you'll see it on labels like Clos de Manille or various different a Clos. A clo is an enclosure, strictly speaking, if you're going to translate it from French. But usually it's a walled, small area with a vineyard inside. So oh, okay. Basically a walled vineyard. Yeah. Usually they're monopoles owned by one person. But what they did originally was they shared a winery. What's a monopole? A monopole. A single vin- a vineyard owned by, a vineyard, a patch of vineyard owned by one person only. See, oh it's all these words that just come. go yeah. And I'm thinking, what's that? What's that? Is it me? Am I? So, am Claude, Claude, I, yeah. so you, you'll find there's vineyards called X, but within that, you could have. So Clos de Tar, which is obviously a clo, in Maurice Saint-Denis in Burgundy, is owned just by one. Oh,
1: I see. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah one
0: yeah. person owns it. Okay. Yeah. So it's that's, that's a monopole. So he had all these different Clos then. So yeah, and he they all they all worked together. So they basically took all the grapes in, and basically sold them, shared the vineyard, but then from. Probably the late 80s, early 90s. They split them up, so they were they weren't sharing grapes and just marketing them under different names. You know, Clomogador was made with specific grape from grapes from a specific site, and the same for the others. So Finca fee
1: Yeah, yeah. And so the value then yeah. it became well they known, became, or they became, known. They
0: became well known. People really liked the wines. Usual supply and demand impacted on prices, and so the prices increased. And that also usually creates fame or infamy, one or the other. Mm. And then. I think it was early nineties. Alvaro Palacios released Lermita, which has become sort of one of the most expensive wines from Priorat.
1: Okay. Yeah. What was it called again?
0: Lermita. So mm. L mm. apostrophe E R M I T A. Lermita.
1: I'll be that'll be on my table this weekend. <coughs> yes, it will be. So almost certainly not. Yeah,
0: and so. Then as this sort of happened and they developed a reputation for producing wines that people liked and people were willing to spend money on, they were given their DOCA status. And then as of 2018-ish, around then, so not too long ago, there are actually 109 wineries in the region, at least and over five hundred different winemakers working there. Wow! So, yeah.
1: And what what would you say is the um you know back to basics with mm. Brian? we should have a feature called Back to Basics, basics with Brian.
0: Brian. Um, so i might you my my, my, You're my an
1: benchmark talent, you really. Are. <laughs> oh yeah, I, know. I can't like that.
0: Back to basics with Brian. Yeah. Oh,
1: full, full of ideas like
0: confusing that. Confusing crap with cats. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, if, if you like. If you.
1: Oh, uh, what was I going to ask? Oh, There we go. Uh,
0: back to basics. Priorat.
1: Oh, yeah. So, there's my bench level. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, where where are we with Priorat? What what what, what can we look for? What can if we you, expect? If you
0: like, see, often they're quite a modern style, the way they make the wines. Um, if you like things like Bordeaux, very often you'll enjoy Priorat as well. So, structurally, they do use some of those great varieties in the blend. So, the blend has in it usually, I mean, it depends. They can be 100% something. They seem to do what they want. In fact, they have, they have classifications that they have to use, but they seem to do what they want. Yeah. Um. They usually have at least twelve months in wood before they're released. Often a percentage of which is new, um, and they use the Grenache and the Carignana together. But they also have Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Syrah that are often used in the blends. So you'll oh, okay. see other things pop in. So if you like that style of wine, yeah, these would be up your street. Do you know what I? I,
1: I think we should do um um a a. I know it's called off the beaten track, um, but it was, what, did you say Bordeaux? No, what was the one you said it was similar to? Was it Bordeaux?
0: I said if you enjoy Bordeaux, you probably yeah. Enjoy right?
1: We we should really look at some of the famous places yeah. as well at some point because Bordeaux is like really interesting. Should um, we
0: do Bordeaux next week? Should we do
1: that? Should we just week? go Bordeaux. off the beaten track from the beaten track? Yeah.
0: Back into the main track. Back into the main track, yeah. (laughs) Perfect, we can do what we like. Yeah, it's all good. There we go. But there's a couple of things really that make Priorat what it is. One originally was vine age because they found old vines. Again, old bush vines grown in terraces tend to be hand harvested just to loop back. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, The other is that the soil there is really poor. It's not really nutrient-rich, so the vines have to work quite hard, and you get a very specific character that comes into the wine. They're grown in slate soils, which are called, and you'll be able to pronounce this better than me probably, ycorella? Ycorella. yeah. I just made that up. I think it's Catalan for slate, but please don't me because my, yeah. my knowledge of Castile and Catalan is negligible. Um, and the last one, obviously, is the climate. So the climate's quite interesting, because, you know, it's not far from the Mediterranean, but it's actually quite a continental climate. Within the enclaves of Priorat and the surrounding area, which is a DO called Monsan. Okay. And you basically have really warm summers and really dry summers. They only get about 500 millimeters of rain a year. So it's not much. Yeah, so it is quite extreme. And I think the winters can get quite cold. Yeah. So you have this quite continental climate, which is quite interesting, really, because mm. you'd expect it to be more Mediterranean there.
1: Yes. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. How far from the Mediterranean is it? Like miles as the crow flies.
0: I'd have to look at a map.
1: Well, uh, well uh, more or less fifty, hundred, two hundred and fifty, thousand.
0: I'd have to look at a map.
1: <laughs> Quick. It's up there somewhere. Google
0: Google Maps. Let's yeah. just check. <laughs> Let's just check. But no. So you have this very free draining soil, which imparts a very specific character. It's got. Um, it's got. A, it's a decomposed slate with quartz in it, basically, and that's one of the things that make it quite unique as a wine region as well as the fact that you've got old vines and the yields are really really low so we've talked about yields before and old vines Mm -hmm. but the yields there can be really very low compared to other regions so say say you go to a main region in germany where they're producing quite a lot of wine you could push 70 to 80 hectolitres per hectare at harvest the average for spain i believe to be because it is quite arid um, even in areas where they're producing more volumes of wine, is usually the average sits between 25 and 30 hectolitres per hectare. But that's partly because there's parts of places like Priorat that only produce about five hectolitres per oh, hectare. Okay, so, wow. So there the are areas right it brings the average right down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um,
1: I mean, it does sound a little bit when when you're saying that you know they, the reserves spend a year in in bottle and oak, yep. and, and Grand Reserver has two years in yep. oak, and etc. And what have you. It does sound very similar sort of thing to. Real
0: yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell though, all the producers seem to ignore that. They have those classifications, but they seem to do what they like. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um. But, um, I, I, yeah, it's not so strict in that they can still produce. Yeah. They can make wines the way they want. And, and is there a, you know, is there a, a, a white version? Cause you can get white Rioja, can, can't you? You can get white. There's not much made. And the white varieties, obviously a white Grenache. So Grenache Blanca or Bianco. Um, Acabeo, Pedro Jimenez, which is famous for being used down in Jerez, in Sherry. Yeah. And they also have a little bit of Shenimbank planted. Okay. And they're permitted for making white Priorat.
1: And what, what, what might Rose. you expect from those? Are they, again, are they I have are the same... To be
0: honest, I've never had a white wine from Priorat. Oh.
1: I wonder if they're like the Riocas as well. Are they, they're in barrels and stuff. and
0: Yeah, and I mean, Rioca, white Rioca, we should look at that one week as well. Yeah. White Rioca stylistically can literally sit at opposite ends of a spectrum now. Wow, yeah,
1: it's difficult to make a decision, then, isn't it? Sometimes Unless you it's actually know it. by age, yeah, okay. and you
0: can usually, if they're in clear glass, the color gives you an indication. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well,
1: there we go. There we go. Uh,
0: that's it. That was the wine. Where any particular makes that you would
1: recommend or is it just um, go and ask your wine expert have your local wine expert lo- local
0: wine expert but you, you'll find a lot you'll see them popped around but look out for Alvaro Palacios because they start at a more reasonable price point and go up to silly prices yeah yeah.
1: how lovely ok well don't go anywhere because we're going to be matching that
0: we with the menu on. what can you eat with this delicious prie- it's the best part of the day where we start oh, talking about food and food and crisps oh, we're
1: going to let you know what you need to know
0: so get, get your hats on head thinking caps on yeah what crisps would you have with Priya
1: Ah oh, it's all coming up right after licorice modern love yeah quite right <laughs>
2: Smelling drinking smoke and he used to force in my ridiculous coat, but you liked it. I thought you would mind it. I just want you thinking I don't mean to offend that I'm a little too intelligent for you and your friends. You put your heart into something superficial, and then I lose my voice preaching at you from the opposite end the phone. I'm preaching at you while you're buzzing off the stuff in your nose. Preaching at you when all you wanna do is go home. Hey. 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 Preaching at you from the opposite end the phone. I'm preaching at you while you're buzzing off the stuff
1: We're listening back. to uncorked with Brian and Cath on a Thursday. It is fast approaching thirteen minutes to two. We have been talking about harvesting. We've been talking about Priorat.
0: Priorat. Priorat.
1: Beautiful little Rioja type wine, based in Spain, in the uh, in the north. East area. East area, yes. <clears throat> and it's, it's time to find out what we can eat with it.
0: What would you eat with it?
1: Well, do you know what I was thinking? Oh we, Do you know what? We should...
0: I'm just going to play anything, because yeah, we don't we have should... one anymore. We used to have one for food. We had a menu match, didn't we? And it's been removed. Somebody's eaten it. <laughs> so I thought sound of wine glugging. So we're pouring ourselves a glass now. Glugging. A glugging glass. We've chinked. Now we're going to munch and eat and drink. Oh,
1: it sounds good, doesn't
0: yeah. it? Tucking into the crisps as we speak. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, Now... I had a thought. I had. I don't often deviate from my favourite crisps, OK? So what, you, what are your
0: favourite crisps? I well, just, just haven't touched on this before, and salt, I'm
1: curious. Salt and apple cider vinegar.
0: Oh, you posh thing,
1: you. Oh, yeah, the posh crisps. I'm not talking about those, you know. You, 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 don't, you
0: don't just stick to normal salt and vinegar, oh, do you? No. Not anymore. No. You've reached a stage in life oh, yeah. where you think it's all or nothing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, quality, not quantity. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, so, mind you, they do massive packets. So these, there... these I'm talking about:
0: <laughs> sea salt and apple cider vinegar. I'm yeah. Assuming it's a sea salt.
1: Oh, it has to be sea salt. I wouldn't okay. touch it otherwise. Uh, and then the other one is uh, cheese and onion. Um, but I w- I deviated from that.
0: Ooh, what did you go with?
1: And I w- I, didn't, I don't know why, but I
0: just thought I saw posh crisps, but beef, like posh roast beef or like a teriyaki beef style crisp?
1: No, 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 just just beef. Really? Yeah, and I thought, oh hello. I'll have, I'll have a go of those. Were they good? Well. Were they posh? They were posh, but they had a little hint of mustard, like somebody had got roast beef and put a bit of mustard in it.
0: Do you remember those crinkle-cut McCoys that were beef and roast, roast, beef, and roast, yeah. mustard? <laughs> roast beef and mustard? And they were I, quite spicy. Yeah, well, they,
1: it, it was subtle. It was, you know, these are posh, so it was, you know, it was, it was a, a bit nuance. more. There was nuance. Yeah. And really I funny. think that the wine we've been talking about, Priorat, might just be a winner with them
0: Ooh. oh yes, I think it probably would. yeah, I had the other day yeah, yeah, so okay, this is when you're going to go okay, here she is, the crazy food fascist again but
1: it don't, don't it's not plain don't go plain
0: Look, let, let, let me finish
1: you are aren't you oh.
0: <laughs> but they're not just plain so most crisps are cooked in a vegetable oil okay these were olive oil. Oh, how were they? bloody good? Oh, I'd say that. Yeah, they were really good. And they would be good with this as well. So imagine Spanish tapas. You see, you've got a salty snack.
1: You have? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, there we go.
0: Yeah.
1: That olive oil sort of well, the Mediterranean area exactly. and all the rest of it. So
0: they were plain, but they were very posh plain. Yeah. Obviously. They were I, good.
1: Like the, uh, I like the idea that they're using olive oil for these yes, things. It this made is me very happy. a really good idea. Yeah. Okay, so we've done the important bit—the crisps, the crisps that it would go with. Go with. Um, what about the rest of it? What about-
0: I was looking at my notes. One of my notes says charred things.
1: <laughs> charred,
0: charred things. Um, so anyone, anyone can make food that goes with pre No, that's not entirely fair. So they often have an undercurrent of sort of spices or black pepper notes. There's like an undercurrent of spice to the wines ah. or a licorice-y quality. Thus, the last song actually, not okay. just that, not just the soil type. I did wonder, Yucarilla. Yep. Um, Or yicorella. I'm I'm terrible at Spanish.
1: I don't know what you're talking about. What's the yicorella? The soil. Oh, I see. Oh, I don't know. I never went into soil. Free draining
0: nutrient poor soil. (laughs) God, Honestly. Um, (laughs) This isn't a word I say. Um, So anything, I think, where there's like a sort of a subtle spicy component in the food could work, I was thinking. Yeah. So you could just, you could latch into that sort of subtlety, as long as it's not dominating the food. So I was thinking, for example, a steak with peppercorn sauce, maybe.
1: Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. That does sound good. I like that.
0: Double cooked chips. Oh, triple cooked chips.
1: You can do that now, can't you? Yeah. I don't know why. I just don't. You've got to have
0: the right potatoes, or really? they just go soggy. Yeah. You I don't, don't know why they crunch. don't just
1: cook them properly the first time. Uh, roast <laughs> lamb.
0: Fair point, but then they're not the very charred. Hey.
1: <laughs> roast lamb you've got yeah. here as well. Roast
0: lamb. Yeah, things like that. Comfy of duck.
1: Now here's the thing. Rabbit. Now that's not often on my mm-hmm. menu. I'll be honest
0: with you. Yeah. Well, some not all the wines are complete. I can't say what I was going to say, so I've got to think of a new phrase, Mm. are not as big, so they still usually have quite high alcohol, but there's an elegance to the wine and they have a refined acidity. (laughs) And those sort of wines, I think, would work well with things like a braised rabbit, particularly if it's got herbs and olives and those sort of flavours thrown in the mix. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Interesting.
0: And then I was thinking about what we did last week, because we talked about carignan, and then we were talking about the foods that would go with carignan, and my brain went shooting back to the south of France again, and I was thinking, Toulouse sausages, cassoulet, beanie stews.
1: So beanie stews, yeah, so I was going to ask about the vegetarian option.
0: Yeah. Beanie stews, mushrooms, mushroom fricassee, mushroom stroganoff, those kind of things. Fricassee. Fricassee.
1: There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something for everybody really, here on River Radio. And
0: and of course, we have to talk about cheese. Yes. Because we always talk about cheese. We do. We do. A mature manchego. But... Some styles are quite rich in character, as I said, and you've got higher levels of alcohol, so they'll tip in between 14, 14.5% alcohol, which is.
1: there's pretty, pretty, pretty. Pretty
0: pungent. Pretty pungent potent. Yeah. Pungent potent. Yeah. Pungent's of smell. It's got a punch to it. It has, yes. Yeah. Um, so you've got that kind of character, and if it's quite a ripe vintage as well, with those sort of licoricey and spicy notes, it can nudge flavour profile without the sweetness with ripe fruit. You know, it, it's a nuance that hints towards those sort of flavours that you'd expect in the Duro and places. So, blue cheese.
1: Well, wow. yeah. Okay. You? Have you ever tried the vegan cheese?
0: Yes, I, I, the things that you get in the supermarket that are mostly made from words that I can't pronounce scare me. Mm. If you can't say it, then I'm not sure you should eat it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so fair enough.
0: But. Yeah, there's one that you, you can. some you can get that are made with things like cashews that are really tasty. And there was one that I tried recently, which they'd completely, it was encased in different proven, Provencal herbs. Oh, that sounds good. And that was really nice. And that would actually work quite nicely with this. I you reckon they would go with these as well? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So even vegan cheese worked. I had a vegan cheese once. It just. <laughs> once. Yeah. Element an element of disdain. Yeah, because it just was like a chewy rubber thing that yeah. had like a, a cheese smell put into it.
0: See that? See, and if you looked at the ingredients, you'd be scared. I think. Yeah, it wasn't good. When this, when it's got too many consonants and Y's in the words, yeah. and X's and things, I think you should just avoid it, person. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it freaks me out. Um, but yeah, grilled, grilled vegetables. That sort of, you know, when you do, sort of griddle things, and they get that sort of charred effect on them. Yeah, or whack them on a barbecue. Barbecues, we're back yeah. at barbecues, aren't we? Posh barbecue with a bottle of Priya at. That would
1: be nice. And actually, the weather's good at the moment, isn't it? It is, Might yeah. be time for a barbecue this weekend. Who knows? Exactly. That would be lovely. Do you know what? We have got five minutes left. Can we touch? Go back. G- g- rewind. He really, really wants d- to talk d- about d- green harvesting. Green harvesting. Because it's so cool, isn't it? It's
0: so cool, yeah. So green harvesting yeah. is, doesn't happen at harvest time. It usually happens just before veraison in the vineyard. So veraison to- is when the the grapes start to ripen, and a red grape, for example, will turn from green to red. So it's when that phenolic ripeness really starts to kick in, and you've got that physiological ripeness actually happening, and the grapes, are, you know, they're getting plumper and softer, and the acidity levels dropping, and the sugars accumulating, and the tannins and the colour and the anthocyanins are developing. And what you want is the grapevine to have loads of energy to do that. So you end up with these brilliant grapes. And so what they sometimes do just prior to that is they go through the vineyard removing some excess bunches from the vines, and that's green harvesting. So they take away the green bunches, so it's literally removing the green grapes. Do
1: they take away any of the leaves as well?
0: They can do, but that wouldn't be green harvesting. What would that be? Removal of foliage.
1: Leaf plucking. <laughs> Leaf plucking. <laughs> <laughs> so the green... up, ha- Leaf so- plucking, shoot thinning, <laughs> <Yes>. green harvesting. <laughs> what do they do with the, uh, the bunches that they...
0: Yeah, sometimes you just see them lying on the floor in the vineyard. Oh, they, do. Well, they, they rot, just they get just taken just away and they... Yeah. Compose
1: back into the soil. It's not a bad thing, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And there are people who argue if the vine balance is correct in the first place, you shouldn't need to do it. So if the you've got the right rootstock and the soil's right and the moisture levels are right and the weather's being good, you shouldn't need to do it. But let's face it, the world can, you might think something's going to happen and it happens differently.
1: Yeah. So it's that, that, a bit of a quandary for a winemaker then because you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're taking away your yield. Yeah, so you're
0: doing it at a time as well where the vine's gone, oh, I've got 10 bunches of grapes to grow just as hypothetical yeah I've got ten to do then you take away them at a point where it still thinks it's got to ripen ten, 10 but it's only got five so all the energy goes into ripening the five so you get mega grapes yeah that's the principle behind it okay if you did it too early potentially the vine would go oh, oh I've boy. only got eight to do yeah I'm just gonna do eight yeah is that the way the vines think? I don't know. I think they think. Well, definitely, because well, I think that's how they think. They're not going to waste energy. They don't need to. But if you just catch them at the right time, you can, you can con them. Yeah. <laughs> so you can con a grapevine. That is what you're doing. That's what we've learned today. You're tricking it, aren't you're you? You're tricking it. Yeah, it's a bit... That's actually, feels a bit nefarious now.
1: Well, yeah.
0: Mm. I feel... <laughs> like, I, see, we were excited now. not so excited about green harvesting. Yeah.
1: Poor, poor, poor vines. Poor vines. There we go. So, um, anyway, what are we? What are we... Talking about next week, do you think?
0: Well, we said we can do Bordeaux. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Because that's like one of the world's you know really famous area that everybody mentions when they're talking about France or good wines. Why? Why why that particular area? Do you think is it the Terroir, the Terroir, or what? Or just the experience there? Or why why does that sort of become notorious for being such a great area?
0: Great area. Well, gosh. We've only got three minutes. Do well, yeah. <laughs> you really want to touch on this now? Well, just a, just <laughs> the basics. Just, oh, just think... give me a teaser for next well, week. For, for a very, very long time, it's consistently produced some of the greatest wines in the world. So, And that's probably fairly indisputable and has formed a template that other people try to mimic everywhere. You don't do that if something's not good. Okay. An imitation is the sin- most sincere form of flattery. This is true. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I get that a lot. Yeah.
0: So I think, well, yeah. But I think it's a good region to look at because there is... Possibly a little bit more going on there than people realise sometimes, yeah. and there is good value to be had there as well as probably some slightly less enjoyable things.
1: Okay. Yeah. And and there are some some things I've heard um, or, or aware of things like a Grand Crew and a Premier Crew and all, classe, yeah. yeah. So what First are these growths, things?
0: Just well, what we can look at next week, if you like, is we can look at the two broad areas of the left bank and the right bank. Okay. Which people sort of often refer to, and if you don't know what it means, you're sort of going, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah and then we'll look broadly at the different classification systems on each side. I think that's a good place to start. And from that we can maybe if we have time look at the satellite regions, which oh, is okay. where often you get the value. So if you like bordeaux, those are the areas to go for. Value.
1: Uh, the, yeah, just just on the edge of yeah. the main the main drag. They they are they're working harder probably. Yes. There might not be, but they, you know, we'd they, like to
0: think. We'd like yeah. to think, yes.
1: Oh well, there we go. Next week, same time, one o'clock on River Radio, Uncut with Brian and Kath. We're talking about Bordeaux and other stuff as well. Crisps. We're in the menu match. Almost guarantee. Maybe some poison. We might talk about poison. Yeah, um, that's just the way we roll here. Don't forget, stay with River Radio because coming up later on today, seven to eight, Annabelle Knight. Ask Annabelle. Oh, sex relationships, all things like Loads that. Loads of juicy She stuff. is an absolute. Star when it comes to juicy stuff. So um, have a listen to uh, Ask Annabelle tonight, and don't forget tomorrow, Friday. Stay with River Radio, the Morning Brew, Nikki and Tara, and then Lars and um, Sam. I think have been doing what's on when, and at six o'clock tomorrow, pull the other one, the comedy show of with. comedy shows with oh, a couple of people, Chloe Pratique,
0: and and. The Bryce Key. Exactly. Honestly, blow your trumpet. <laughs> Just blow
1: it. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Don't forget, listen again. And bye for now. Bye for now. Have see a good you next
0: one. week. Bye. Bye.
2: In a world where radio stations are t-
4: Let lie that you tell yourself, you fear that you live on now, it ain't true, ain't true, ain't true, nah, so put your arms around me tonight, let the music lift you up like you've never been so high, open up your heart to me, let the music lift you up Turn to XSA Ain't nobody